You are listening to The Loft on Radio 3 Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I am Nick Trellia. I am Philip Andrews. And I am Caleb Rumet. Today we're going to be talking about mummies and one Indian village's strange attempts to get rid of a monkey problem. But as always, let's start with Wacky World. Wow! I don't believe it. There's something you don't see every day. So we got a headline here. Italian man denied Swiss citizenship for not knowing bears and wolves shared enclosure at zoo. Seems legitimate. Oh, yes. Uh, an Italian man was denied Swiss citizenship because he failed to answer correctly several questions on an integration test. So how citizenship works in Switzerland is even though you have lived in the country for a period of time, uh, like this guy, he applied for citizenship in 2015, even though he'd been living there for 30 years, you still have to take periodic tests to test your social integration into the culture. So several questions that he was given, he got wrong. He didn't know that bears and wolves shared an enclosure at his local zoo. He also got a single word wrong in the Swiss national anthem, and he showed minor deficiencies in understanding local geography. <laughs> it's completely unforgivable. Yeah. It, I mean, given my understanding of local Michigan geography, it may remind me not to ever apply for Swiss citizenship. Are you even American, Phil? No. <laughs> well, a federal court in Switzerland took his side and ruled that the man had been unfairly denied because some of the questions were too specific. So unlike in the U.S., being born in Switzerland does not actually guarantee you citizenship. Interesting. And in the U.K., they ran a test on an Egyptian mummy. It was the priest Nesimanun. He died 3,000 years ago. They opened up the casket, or the coffin, sarcophagus, whatever it's called, and they 3D scanned his throat and his larynx position, and they took some tests, ran it through a computer algorithm, and they actually were able to replicate the sound of his voice. Yes. And uh, I think it's kind of disappointing. We're going to play the audio, and you guys can be the judge. I can't wait. So uh, that's all they got. You ever played Minecraft? You know the villagers? <laughs> yes. Sounds exactly yes, like them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Millions of dollars. It's almost a dying noise, too, which is the ironic part. <laughs> I wonder I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil, what have you got? Well, moving on. Next headline is Japanese billionaire seeks, quote, life partner for moon voyage. So the mission's planned for 2023. It's going to be the first lunar journey by humans since 1972. And in an online appeal, Mr. Mazawa from Japan says he wants to share the experience with a, quote, special woman. He founded a Japanese online clothing <laughs> retailer, Zozo Inc., and he's made close to $3 billion from that, which a lot of he, he spends on his avid art collection. He, um, I think he bought a painting for like $100 million recently. Um, the entrepreneur recently split up from his 27-year-old actress girlfriend, and he's asking women to apply for a planned matchmaking event on his website. And... He says, uh, he says this about it. He says, quote, As feelings of loneliness and emptiness slowly begin to surge upon me, there's one thing that I think about, continuing to love one woman. That's called Creepo City right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, how old was this guy? Uh, he's 44. Oh, geez. Yeah. So it's through SpaceX. So he's buds with Elon Musk, actually. And uh, Elon Musk said that uh, he puts his money where his mouth is. So, I mean, there is that. But um, he also says, quote, I want to find a life partner. Um, adding, with that future partner of mine, I want to shout our love and world peace from outer space. So, 
bold aspirations and, uh, and lofty ideals there from him. Might be kind of difficult without any air. Uh, yep, it's pretty tough. And uh, on the application, the conditions say that the, uh, the woman must be single over the age of 20, always positive, and have an interest in going to space. I suppose that would be good. I would hope so. That's what I've got on my Tinder profile. Yeah, yeah that's it. Well, Caleb, what do you have for us today? So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> this should be good. Villagers in India dress up as bears to scare off more than 2,000 monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so, just a little bit of background here to set the scene. In some parts of India... There's this exploding monkey population due to a large lack of funding around controlling the population of monkeys. And in a lot of the villages, the monkeys end up attacking people with like 150 cases of monkey attacks being reported recently. And they especially target children. Uh, Villagers claimed it would cost 600 Indian rupees, that's $8.41 per monkey, to catch and remove the animals. So naturally, instead of monkeying around with those steep prices... Villagers in, and I'm going to butcher this, Sikandarpur <laughs> deci- <laughs> Thanks. decided to pool their funds and buy three bear costumes for $23.82 each. That's 1,700 rupees for those of you out there who are keeping track. And they would wander around while dressed in these suits in the village to scare the monkeys. But tell me, Caleb, <laughs> did it work? Surprisingly, it actually led to a drastic decrease in monkey attacks. <laughs> And if you look at the costumes, they look almost tribal, and I think I might have been scared if I saw them too, but probably only barely. Oof. (laughs) We've reached a new low. All right. (laughs) So this is not the first time that a tactic similar to this has been used in India to scare monkeys. Apparently monkeys are a big problem. Last year, a farmer painted his dog to look like a tiger to keep monkeys from stealing his crops. Props to the guy who convinced the other villagers to do this. I know, right? (laughs) So actually, it was one of the villagers' relatives who suggested the idea. And I wouldn't be surprised if you did it on a bet or something. That's pretty good. Um, all right. So next up is a question that I'm sure the, the monkeys would care about. And that is, where do trees get their mass? Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. You're listening to The Loft on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. So have you ever wondered how trees get so heavy uh, over time? Yeah, last I checked, trees don't actually eat anything. Like, you don't just see them <laughs> sitting around outside munching on Doritos, <laughs> which is not a sponsor, by the way. Okay, thank you. Um, and I think most people would say that trees get their weight from the soil. It, that seems pretty intuitive. Um, like, you can see all the roots digging into the ground, and it looks like uh, it's, so it's gaining something from the soil. And trees kind of look like dirt, and they feel solid like dirt in a lot of ways, so... I guess that's intuitive, <laughs> but... Uh, Incredibly. Yes. So in the early 1600s, scientist Johann Baptiste Hemholt was the first person to try to record scientifically and answer what was really going on with trees. And to answer this, he started by planting some seeds in pots. But before he planted the trees, he measured the weight of the soil in the pot. So before he planted the trees in the pots, he measured the weight of the soil that was in them and then planted the seeds and took care of them for about five years, just making sure that no soil was added or removed from the pots. And then at the end of that period, he reweighed the tree as well as the soil in the pots. And the tree weighed in at 158 pounds. And then the mass of the soil had only decreased about 60 grams, which is very negligible change. So that was some pretty strong evidence that the mass of the tree didn't come from the soil. So Hemholtz, he concluded that the tree came entirely from water, 
which was false, but it did help us out and clued us into the fact that it was not the dirt that the tree is getting smashed from. So this guy sat around to watch trees for five years. I mean, I, I hope he was doing some other experience, experiments during this time. But Sounds like a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so some other thoughts people had also, and I'm not sure if some of you out there are thinking this too, but maybe it's somehow trees convert the energy from the sun into their mass. Um, that's not it either. And I guess we have to think about, is there any other ingredients that we're missing um, that trees use? And... I guess the punchline is the surprising fact is that 95% of the mass of the tree comes from carbon dioxide. And the sun's energy simply allows the photosynthesis reaction to occur and pull a carbon off of CO2 in our atmosphere. So the short of it is trees are basically all air. They're, they come from air. <laughs> Just carbon dioxide gas in the air. Sounds like a lot of politicians I know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ouch. So that's why, that's why trees are so important, too, when people are discussing climate change and greenhouse gases, because they absorb carbon dioxide um, very well grow. and just store it in their tree mass. That's As right, Nick. Trees grow. Yes, they do grow. <laughs> <laughs> Learn something new every day, I guess. <laughs> All right. So um, I was looking around on the Internet, and I came across an article on Insider Magazine, their website, uh, talking about the movie 1917 that just came out. Have you guys heard about that movie? Oh, yeah. Everyone is talking about it. Got good reviews. Yes. Uh, it actually got nominated for an Oscar for Best Cinematography, and the movie has been shot in one long, continuous take. It looks like one long movie. You know, there are a lot of really famous film transitions, like in 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the monkey throws the bone up and it cuts to the, like, the space station. Yeah. Uh, but this movie is made to look like one long take like there's no cuts anywhere it's very impressive Wait, so did they actually take it all in one take or they just made it look like that um well they actually broke it up with a series of clever tricks basically how they did it was they would build a model of every set and they would time out how long it would take to rehearse the dialogue because since the camera is always moving and following the actors uh every set has to be as long as the dialogue takes so the actors had to practice and practice so that when their dialogue would be over they would be ready to move from scene to scene Another problem, kind of unique with this situation, is there, there can be no lighting. Because since the camera can only move forwards to follow the characters and it can't go backwards, they have to move in 360 degrees. So the camera can only like turn if it needs to change direction. So you can't use a conventional lighting rig because the camera is going to turn and you see the lights. Yeah, sure. Right. And so uh, maintaining continuity was very important. So there would be days when they just have to stop shooting because the, the shadows would be wrong or the lights would be wrong. And there's this one scene where they go into a ruined city that's on fire. And they basically had to strategically set the fires so that the lighting would be consistent around the entire area when they shot. Wow. Um, now, a lot of the sets they had to build around the camera because it's not like you could cut and kind of move the camera to a different location. A lot of the sets, they actually built them to, like, break open. So, for instance, there's a scene where one of the characters climbs through a window and the camera follows him. But actually, the way that the window is built once on a hinge so that once the character climbs through the wall will open up and the camera can follow the actor through very very cool stuff huh. now the most famous scene uh, in the movie for the long take is he runs main character climbs out of the trench and runs along the entire length of the battlefield in one take like i think it's 10 minutes long the scene is and it's just non-stop action and how they did it was really really fascinating they dug almost one mile of trench for this movie uh, for that scene specifically. So the character starts in the trench, and at this point the camera is held by two uh, grips. Those are guys that hold the camera. Now they climb out of the trench, and they follow him, follow him, follow him, but then he pauses at one key location, and at that key location they take the camera and very carefully 
hook it onto a track uh, which follows him along the entire way. Now, the key grips, the guys who carry the camera, they are wearing costumes. And so they jump into the background and out of the shot as oh, the truck wow. follows the actor. Wow. It's really impressive. And honestly, I really think that they should win uh, the Oscar. I don't care much about the Academy Awards, but I think they earned it. You know if they've done anything like this before in any other movie to this uh, scale? Uh, Alfred Hitchcock uh, did it. I believe it was 1946 or 1947. It's a movie called Rope. It's a murder mystery. Okay. Um, but the thing with that movie is that it's in one location entirely. It's set in like an apartment building. Oh, right. So that's convenient. Right. And so the reason what makes 1917 so unique is that no location is reused at all and the camera is in constant motion so that's a that's a great feat yeah it's pretty impressive also i quick looked up the runtime here and it's two hours long so that's i mean that's just normal yeah. runtime it's ridiculous yeah. what they did wow thanks nick i'll have to go watch that soon definitely you're listening to the loft on radio free hillsdale 101.7 fm and next up we have our ask hillsdale super bowl special this Sunday, Super Bowl 54 will play out in Miami, Florida, between the San Francisco 49ers, representing the NFC, and Kansas City Chiefs, representing the AFC. So, of course, we this week on Ask Hillsdale, we decided to pound the pavement and test the football knowledge of the students on campus. Here's what we got. Sporting event coming up this Sunday. Do you know what it is? The Super Bowl? That's correct. Do you know what number Super Bowl it is? No. <laughs> It's Super Bowl 54. Can you spell that in Roman numerals? Yes. L, uh, just 54. Okay. Just L-I-V. Yes. So there's kind of a big sporting event coming up this week. Do you know what it is? Gymnastics. What is it? Gymnastics. <laughs> so there's, it's just gym. <laughs> Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Stupid. So it was kind of a big sporting event coming on this Sunday. Do you know what it is? Uh, it's, it's the football. It's the football. It's the Super Bowl. That's right. Do you know what? Do you know what year the first Super Bowl was played? Uh, it was like 1912. It's 1967. You were very close. So what two teams are playing in the Super Bowl this year? The Chiefs and the 49ers. That is correct. Do you know who played last year? The Patriots and the crap uh <laughs> what two teams are playing in the super bowl i have no idea does it actually even matter because football is dumb do you know which two teams are playing in the super bowl this year no <laughs> i don't <I'm> sorry <laughs> thank you i'll probably watch it though how many teams are there in the nfl are there like 48 50 like there are 32 what is it called when on a punt or a kickoff, the ball goes through the back of the end zone? A touchback. That is correct. What is it called when the defense catches a pass thrown by the offense? An interception. That is correct. What is it called when the defense crosses the line of scrimmage before the play starts? Hike? <laughs> um, no, it's, um, I don't know. It's an offsides penalty. <laughs> so there you have it. Thank you to everyone who participated. And keep a lookout for us. We might be asking you questions sometime soon. My favorite one was when he was like, it's called uh, hike. <laughs> yes. Also, apparently gymnastics are happening this week. <laughs> I, I, I did not know that. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. You're listening to The Loft on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. At this point, we'd like to bring in our producer, Rachel Cookagee who is going to introduce our game for the week. 
Thank you, Phil. I'm returning with the initials quiz this week, Michigan edition. Just a quick review. The initials of a particular famous individual will be given, followed by a series of clues. As soon as one of the contestants thinks they know the answer, they will call their own name, which will act as their buzzer, giving them the time to guess. If they get the answer right, they win the round. If they are wrong, they are out for the remainder of that round. All right. For the initials quiz, Michigan edition, round one. KB. This person from Huntington Woods, Michigan, says they were a vegan in high school but had to give that up because of their love for cheese. This person was voted PETA's World Sexiest Vegetarian for 2006. I think it's pronounced PETA, not P-E-T-A, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know what it stands for, so I just went with it. People eating tasty animals is what it stands for. That's right. Really? <laughs> no. Have you never heard that before? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you know what PETA is? No. It's like a vegetarian group yeah. or something. Well, I kind of guessed that. It's like an animal, animal rights by, animal activism rights group. group. Judging yeah. by what they gave her. All right. You ready for clue number three? Despite that, this person has dessert after every single meal, even breakfast. No clue? I'll give you clue number four. This person gave birth to her first child at age 32, a daughter, in 2013. The child's father is her fiancé, now husband, Dax Shepard. Did you pull us off like a TMZ article or something? <laughs> did you actually? Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. That's close enough. <laughs> okay. That's acceptable. This is hard. <laughs> Dude. Well... Although the last four were pretty hard, I think this one will be pretty easy. Clue number five, this person voiced a main character in the Disney movie Frozen. Nick, is it Kristen Bell? Yes. Oh, I knew that. I've never seen Frozen. Yeah, well, that's your loss on this, but I knew that one. It slipped away. Uh. The next round, round two, SB. This person from Muskegon Heights, Michigan, became interested in politics rather late in life when they decided they wanted a bigger sign for their restaurant in Palm Springs, California, and had problems dealing with the city government. Clue 2 of round 2. This person had never voted or registered before, but resolved to change things by running for mayor. They won the election, served a successful four-year term, and wound up pursuing a whole new career as a politician. Emphasis on whole new career. They had another big career before that, which is what they're more famous for. Going as far as being elected to the United States House of Representatives in 1994. This person was married four times and also had an illegitimate son with another woman. This person died in a skiing accident in California at the age of 62. Clue number five, this person sang a song famous for repeatedly playing from an alarm clock in the movie Groundhog Day. Nick. Yep. Is it Sonny Bono? Yep. I have never. Did you know he was a politician? Never heard of him. No idea. All the way to the House of Representatives. Okay, I've never yep. seen Groundhog Day no, either. Haven't. And that's I don't, your loss. I have never heard of this guy before. No, I don't know. Sonny and Cher? No. no nothing. You can live without knowing Sonny and Cher. You can? I need more academic people. All right. Round three. The initials are J.W. This person from DeWitt, Michigan, apparently likes Justin Bieber a lot because they think that he is cute and they love his music. 
This person was featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the rest of their team, marking the first time an entire Olympic team of this sport had been featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Round three, clue three, that was in the 2012 Olympics. Clue number four, this person was one of many of MSU Dr. Larry Nassar's sexual abuse victims. She's a gymnast. I know. Yeah, I know. I knew that from the first it, It's like Jimone. <laughs> the first of the USA Women's Gymnastics 2012 Fierce Five to do so. JW. I have no idea who this person is. I'll resort back to clue number one to give you a bonus clue number six that has to do with it. Because of her love for Justin Bieber, it awarded her the nickname from her family and friends, Weber Fever. That helps none. <laughs> I mean, should. I would assume that the last name is Weber. Yep. You still don't know her first name? Jackie Weber. That's nope, name. you're out. Jesse Weber. Nope. Justice Weber. Phil, it's up to you. Jessica. Nope. Dang. Jordan. Jordan. Oh, that was my second choice. It's Jessica Weaver. She's, she she's like the fifth famous of the five famous gymnasts. Yes, but so. she was on all the cereal boxes, and she was famous for not making it to the final cut and, like, crying about it. Was she a Wheaties person? Uh, no. Muesli. Oh, well, then I wouldn't know. All right, so I guess, Nick, you win that with two points. Again, I stumped you on the last one. Yeah, that was good. That last one was good. Maybe sometime I can find one that the other guys will get. <laughs> no, we're just dumb. Thank you for listening to The Loft on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We have new episodes out each Friday. Next week, we'll have a special guest in studio, president of Hillsdale College, Dr. Larry Arn. See you then.